This is episode 56 of the Kindred Bomb Podcast. I'm your host, Emily Sue Allen. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen to this episode of the Kindred Mom Podcast. I'm really glad that you have joined me because we are talking about some really important things today. This episode is specifically about movement and rest for moms as part of the Healthy Body series that we're covering over on KindredMom.com. Now, this episode is just one part of the whole series, and there are many rich essays shared by a variety of mama writers over on our blog. I hope you'll check that out and the other episode that we feature this month on a related topic. Today's guests are Shannon Owen, one of the writers in residence for our community this spring, and Lindsay Corbett. She is one of the editors on our team, as well as someone who frequently writes for our blog as well. On the second half of the show, I have a special guest, Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith, who is the author of a book called Sacred Rest, Recover Your Life, Renew Your Energy, Restore Your Sanity. And Dr. Sandra has such insightful thoughts about how important rest is to our lives and I learned so much just from talking to her. Her book is available on Amazon and I highly recommend checking it out. There is an affiliate link in the show notes for this episode if you want to check it out and support our community. Thanks so much for listening and have a wonderful day. Well, I am glad to be back and have two wonderful ladies with me today so we can talk about movement and rest for moms, which is one of the subtopics that we are tackling in the Healthy Body series over on kindredmom.com. And today, Lindsay Cornett, part of our Kindred Mom editorial team, and Shannon Owen, one of our writers in residence for this spring, are joining me for this conversation. Welcome, ladies. Hi, thanks. Hi, Emily. Yeah, it's really wonderful to have you both. And I am trepidatious, that's a really huge word for me to just whip out and now said about this topic, only because I am not good at either of these things. So I'll just say up front that I am the poster child for what not to do as far as it relates to movement and rest. But I am eager to talk about it because I think it's so important as we are considering the whole healthy body topic, what it looks like to just be fit, strong, well-rested. And I know that movement is a part of that. And so I would love to just invite the two of you to share kind of where you are in your current motherhood season with just getting any any kind of exercise, any kind of physical reprieve from what is heavy about motherhood and uh, just tell us where you are. Yeah, I think it is really interesting and really smart, Emily, that as you were planning the podcast episodes, you paired movement and rest together because Mm. my initial instinct is to say that those are opposites. Mm -hmm. To me, most of the time, movement and exercise do not feel particularly restful. They would, if I'm honest, never be my um, choice if I needed to to rest. Um, Or even if I didn't, it's almost never my, my activity of choice, if I'm honest. I'm not great about getting movement and exercise in. I do better in the warmer months of the year. We like to take walks around the neighborhood and we spend a lot of time out in the backyard and 
walking around the botanical gardens here in town. Now that it is winter, as we're recording this, Mm -hmm. I don't get as much of that natural movement just in our days and in our weeks. Mm So right now... I am struggling to find any space or time for movement in my life. I had good intentions at the beginning of the year. A friend had invited me to do an exercise class with her, and I was thinking about that. But it is just not something that I have pulled the trigger on yet this year. So I don't know really um, what what I need to do to change that. But I definitely could probably stand to make it more of a priority personally. Mm, well, that's so honest, and I appreciate your vulnerability because I don't feel so alone in that. <laughs> Uh, but how about you, Shannon? Yeah, I actually kind of like to exercise. I'll admit, I haven't I haven't actually worked out in about a week, which is for me a long time. But for me, I remember after my first daughter, I wasn't ever like really great about it. And then after my first daughter, I struggled a little bit with the baby blues. And I had a counselor tell me, and I guess linking this to the Healthy Mind series that we just finished, a counselor told me that exercise actually can help stave off some postpartum depression. So mm-hmm. I got in a habit of it, and it's something that now I crave, and I can tell I can tell when I haven't worked out in a while because I start getting really tired. Like it's hard for me to get out of bed if I don't have a regular Mm -hmm. exercise practice. And I'm not going to tell you that I'm a marathon runner or anything like that. I am for sure not. I'm like a yoga class kind of person or like, you know, like a bar class or whatever. But I've got to have movement in my life. Otherwise, I just, I don't feel like myself. So I feel more myself when I'm active. Well, I think that that is great as well. And I hope that you can teach us your ways. Because <laughs> uh, for me, it is partly, um, well, I have a couple of stretches throughout my motherhood journey that I have been more active. Um, when I had my fifth baby, um, actually the 10 weeks leading up to that is when I was going through gestational diabetes for the first time. And I had to manage it with diet and exercise exclusively if I wanted to continue with the home birth with the awesome midwife that I had, which I was very motivated to do. And so I worked out an hour a day for 10 weeks until I delivered, yeah, like every day, seven days a week, uh, which wow. I had never had that level of discipline in my life. So I mean, <laughs> it was really out of desperation to just have the kind of birth that I wanted. And it, it was successful. It ended up being a 90 minute labor. So if they correlate, if they, if there's a causation thing there, I think there's something to be said for just upping our fitness level if we're able. But I have to say that the following year, I was super good about, I had a goal after that to just walk or run, which was mostly walking because I don't run, (laughs) um, 10 miles a week every week for the whole year. And I, I met that goal and surpassed it actually and enjoyed it. I had a great time. I kind of figured out my rhythm for when I would walk, how I would accomplish that with all of my family's activities and everything. And then uh, for whatever reason, when I had my sixth baby, 
just some things got really rearranged <laughs> and the muscles were just aching and joints were aching after he was born that I just could not get myself back together. So since that time, I've really struggled with how do I move forward with fitness because what I was really successful at and thought was easy for me and had a lot of gratification that we'd come all this way and done all of this work. I just feel like it wasn't available to me anymore. And I probably should have sought out some physical therapy or some kind of support to help get me back to that spot where I could just do normal exercises that were familiar for me, but I didn't. And now I'm pregnant again. (laughs) And so it's kind of just like, I feel like I have a really uphill battle as I figure that out. And I do have a plan to seek out uh, some physical therapy or whatever ever else is recommended to me after this baby is born. But it does make it a little bit tricky in the meantime where I'm, I'm trying to figure out, okay, so I can't do that. And I just feel like it's kind of scary when you don't know where to start and you don't want to do, especially with as compromised some of my muscle groups are with my lower back and my core strength. I just don't want to do the wrong thing and end up injured. <laughs> well, Emily, saying all of that now, at least you kind of know, right, what went wrong last time or not wrong. That's too harsh. But why exercise kind of fell off of your radar. And so now maybe after this next baby is born, even if you can get on to the physical therapy, you know, um, routine right away, and then you'll maybe be setting yourself up for at least a little bit more success in that way. Yeah. And I wanted to pick up on when you were describing your exercise, you said an exercise rhythm. And I I really liked that because I think for me, if I try to make it a really rigid schedule, that just doesn't work with my personality. I'm, I'm not a rigid schedule kind of person. I'm a rhythm person. And so if I can just get into a rhythm, then for me, there's not as much guilt if, you know, you have really good intentions and then all the kids get sick and it's just doesn't happen. But then I feel like when life gets back to normal, if I put a lot of pressure on myself and think, well, I haven't done it in, you know, a week or two weeks and, you know, I feel so guilty, then it's harder for me to get back into it than if I just give myself a little grace and say, okay, you know what? That was a hard two weeks and now I need to get back into my normal rhythm that makes me feel good and I can Mm -hmm. jump back in. And I think taking the pressure off of myself just helps. And when I remember it's not something that is about how I look or about anybody else except for just me and how I feel, that's when I feel like I'm most successful. Yeah. No, I think that's really good insight. And I would say for me, the motivation to get started is probably the hardest part. (laughs) And that's why, I I mean, I do this with lots of things, not just exercise, but I do challenges. Like I'll make a goal and say, usually it's like a weekly goal because I feel like if I fail miserably for one week, I can start again the next week and I don't feel like I am, you know, really in the dumps about it. I do this with writing. I do this with just some of our household things around here to keep on top of things. And it is more of a rhythm than an actual schedule, but just having a goal each week that I kind of renew my commitment to this goal. Um, And I also, I am awesome about social accountability. So if I tell my 
people who read my blog or people on social media, I'm going to do this. I'm like, I am actually doing this because they (laughs) know that I'm doing it and they're going to ask me. And so um, those are just two small things that do help me in some ways. It's obviously we got to find our way back on the, the fitness side, but those are a couple of my tricks. I'd love to know, Shannon, from you and maybe Emily, even when you were in a better exercise rhythm and routine, when are you making that happen? Are you waking up before your kids? Are you doing it during nap times or like after they the kids go to bed? I'd love to know when you're squeezing it in because that has been one of the biggest challenges for me. I don't feel like most days I can wake up earlier than I am already and maybe I just need to be more motivated to do something after the kids are in bed. But yeah, I'm curious about how that works for you guys. Yeah, for me, I I am not a morning person at all. So I Mm -hmm. do not wake up early. My husband does. He's really good about waking up early and going and working out before anyone else gets up, including me. I don't work that way. That's just not, that's not what brings me joy in my life. So I, (laughs) and I also, at the end of the day, I'm so tired. So that's not really a good time for me either. So for me, I kind of have to work it in like before noon is kind of my best time. Like usually my girls are in school now, which makes things a lot easier. So if I can commit to going like right after I drop them off from school, I'm a lot more likely to go. Um, We've had other seasons where my littlest has special needs and I couldn't drop her off in a gym childcare. That wasn't a choice for me. So there were times that I would fit it in, like she'd be at therapy and I would go work out for 30 minutes. And that was what I could do. And that's what I did. And uh, because that was the only margin I had in my week was like the 30 minutes after I dropped her off with her therapist and then at the end of her Mm -hmm. therapy. Or when my oldest, when she was a baby and she was, when she was my only, then I did a baby boot camp, which was awesome. Or like a stroller strides or something, you know, that was awesome because I made some really sweet friends that I'm still friends with today. And all of our babies were in strollers and we would go to the park and we would work out together. So it was social. And I felt like I was Mm -hmm. seeing people. People, which was really important for me because in mm-hmm. those early years, I just felt so isolated and it was really hard. And the fact that exercise was social was a really big deal for me. Yeah, I can see why that would be motivating. Yeah. And then it flipped after I had my second one and she just, it was a lot and we had a lot of trauma with her. And then exercise kind of became like my 30 minutes that I could have all by myself to not talk to anybody. <laughs> And I had to protect that time. Yeah, some of my biggest challenges really are around logistics. And when I was really successful for that stretch in about 2015, 2016, I kind of had gone every Saturday and Sunday morning, I would get up really early, which I am not a morning person either. I would actually rather sleep in till eight if I could every day of my life. (laughs) And... (laughs) Um, but those were the only days that I really could manage an early morning, like 
connect with a friend. And because I have a lot of other mom friends who also have kids, it was not easy to connect, especially when I have multiple kids, they have multiple kids. Like our only option really is to meet at 6am and walk around this lake that we have in town. That's about three miles around with a paved path and really gorgeous. So easy to just meet there and grab a cup of coffee at a coffee shop. For those who do that, I don't drink coffee, but I always loved meeting them and just having a full hour. It took us about an hour to get around the lake. And so I did that on the weekends and the weekdays were a little bit more like I would take all of my kids with me to the YMCA if that was something we could fit into our day, which we were not as committed to as many out of the house activities at that point. So it was a lot easier than it is today. (laughs) Today is like, I have like one day that I could go and I don't want to go because it's the only day we're not going anywhere. (laughs) So, um, and then there were days that I just, you know, two or three nights a week, sometimes I would leave all the kids at home with dad in the evening and I would go then and just go to the gym by myself. So that's how I was making it work then. And I feel like, there's pretty much none of that would work for where I'm at right now. <laughs> so we ha- we still do have our YMCA membership, which is something we've been paying for and not using, which is a little bit lame. But at the same time, like just getting six kids to the Y <laughs> with what they need, checked in, I'm just like, wow, okay, just a mental block. That's way too much work <laughs> to do what I feel like would probably be 10 or 15 minutes of walking. <laughs> so right now my very meager effort is to just walk around the block <laughs> of my house uh, when my husband is home. And um, it's not a lot, but it is it's something. Some. Yeah, something yeah. is better than nothing. And I think that's the key is just giving yourself grace for whatever you're seeing season you're in because some seasons are just hard and they're labor intensive. And I think sometimes we get in our heads that if we can't go and spend an hour at the gym, then it's not worth it. But even just, I think, walking around the block and getting outside and doing little little things to stay active, or they're so important. And I know that some moms have found at-home programs that work really well for them. I just feel like there's too many bodies in my house <laughs> for the size of my house to have like any space to do that. So it's kind of, we're, we're kind of in a spot where we're just, we really are outgrowing the space that we live in as one challenge. And just also the hangups that I've personally had to just find my fitness routine again is kind of the biggest problems. But I did want to talk about just movement from maybe a little bit more abstract perspective, because this is what it makes me think of as we have been digging into this subject this month. And not from a physical fitness perspective, but movement to me is a really important part of being emotionally healthy and spiritually healthy, because I feel like when I'm not in motion, like in motion, means growth. In motion means working through things or dealing with things or gaining ground, you know, kind of some of these more abstract ideas of not wallowing in self-pity or being stuck at a place of disappointment or a place of unforgiveness or a place of just kind of spinning our wheels. And so for me, it's just funny that I have this like very rich affinity for what movement actually means in my life until we start talking about very practical physical things. <laughs> so um, yeah. I'm just curious what it makes you think of when, when you think of movement in a slightly more abstract way. Is there a way that um, movement has 
benefited you in other areas of your life besides exercise? I really, really love this question, and I love thinking about it in these terms. I think this is one of the reasons why I chose rhythm as my word of the year, which I talked about in one of our January episodes, I believe. Because I know that I have a tendency towards inertia, basically. Mm -hmm. I really can get into a rut where I am kind of stuck in my comfort zone. And my instinct is to choose the path of least resistance, basically, all the time. And I've become more aware of that as time has gone on. So I do try to just sort of remind myself that it is good to push myself out of my comfort zone to kind of do the hard thing. A lot of times it's just the like mental block to getting started, Mm -hmm. you know, whether that is, I don't know, intervening when my children are having a squabble that they need help with, or whether it is trying to tackle a project at home that really needs tackling, or whether it's an area of personal growth or whatever the case may be. A lot of times I do need to just get moving. Um, I need to just kind of overcome that sense of inertia that can make me feel really stuck sometimes if I'm not careful. Oh yeah, I totally feel that. It's it's a hard, I get, I get in the same rut and it can be hard for me. Well, well, you know, but just simple things like cleaning my house and doing dishes and doing laundry and these things, they sometimes they don't feel like they have purpose. I'm an Enneagram for, I should probably say that I I really like finding Mm -hmm. meaning and purpose and everything. And sometimes Mm -hmm. some of those like cyclical tasks that just never feel like they're all the way done are hard for me, but diving in and doing the work that God has for me today, which sometimes just means doing laundry Mm -hmm. is good for me. It's good for my family. It's good. It's good for me to do the things I need to do to create a home that my family can feel comfortable in. And that's important to me. And then also just movement in my own, like you said, Emily, my own personal growth. I think it's so important to be purposeful with the things that I do every day. And this Mm -hmm. year has been interesting for me because we've had a lot of change. My little one went to school for the first time. So I'm finding myself with these blocks of time in the morning that I've never had before. And it's taken some time for me to figure out, okay, how do I use this time intentionally and purposefully so that at the end of the week, at the end of a month, I can look back and think, I really used my time well, and I'm really proud of myself. And I'm proud of what what God has done through my obedience. It's really lovely to hear some really tangible examples of what that looks like in your lives. And with our last few minutes, I want to just, if you'll put on your thinking caps for a second and come up with one or two of the tips that you would share with other moms, um, whether it's the message you would preach to yourself if you're like, "Eh, this is is how I could get over this hurdle of, of resisting movement or resisting motion. What you would say for someone who is wanting to get moving, whether that's their physical fitness or some of these other areas that we're talking about. One thing that was challenging for me for a long time was that I kept waiting for things to feel settled. 
I kept feeling like, oh my goodness, we're in another period of transition. As soon as things settle down and things stop changing, then I'll be able to do X, Y, Z, whether that was create a new rhythm or routine or you know some area of personal growth or whatever the case may be. And one thing that I have learned over the years is that there is no settling down, I don't think. <laughs> Change is just constant, right? Especially when you have young children because they are changing so frequently, right? What they need from you changes, their school routines change, their sleep schedules change, everything changes. And I think that's true not only with kids, but just life in general, right? There are just so many transitions and unexpected things that are always coming. And so I have had to learn to embrace the change, right? To live with it and to accept it and to not wait for life to quote unquote settle down before Mm -hmm. I start moving, you know, whatever that movement might look like. So that's one thing. And the other thing for me, which I feel like I'm going to start to sound like a broken record at this point, but I really do love the practice of choosing a word of the year. Um, I know now we're into later in the year, but you could do it, you know, um, every six months or every quarter or something even because it doesn't give me like super tangible next steps, but it does just kind of remind me like this is the direction that I am heading in. This is the thing that I am aiming for. Um, So that has been really helpful for me too. I think that's awesome. Lindsay, uh, for me, I lead a group of high school high school girls, and the thing that I always tell them, and the thing that I preach to myself all the time, is do the work that God has for you to do today. And if I wake up and and ask myself that question, then I just find that my time is a lot more purposeful, and I do get moving because I'm thinking about being being intentional with my day instead of waking up and not really having a purpose for the day. And then I end up doing things like spending way too much time scrolling Instagram and (laughs) I end up wasting time. And I think to be moving and to have purposeful and intentional movement in your life, you have to, you have to think about what does God have for me today? What is, what is he putting in front of me today? And I guess that goes along, Lindsay, with what you were saying but be present and don't think too much about what happens next, but think about right now. Yeah. My tips are extremely simple, but they're what keep me going every single day. And I think that it's just so easy to make everything more complicated than it needs to be. So simplifying and making things as easy as possible on yourself, I think is one way to just help with the momentum of getting started. Because I think if we set out to do this like enormous task first thing in the morning, it can be really hard to find the motivation or the starting power to do that. And so a couple things come to mind for me is one thing is I tell myself, I don't say it out loud, but I do say it in my mind all the time. Just don't hesitate. Just begin. And the hesitation, I think, is something that always devolves into scrolling too much or getting sidetracked or distraction of any kind, really. And um, the other thing is, is I plan one day ahead. So every single night before I go to bed, I have a planner open or a piece of paper, sometimes just scratch paper that I find on the desk or whatever. And I just kind of write out five or six or seven things that I want to accomplish the next day. I do put stupid little things on the list, like take a shower sometimes, <laughs> because 
it's quite a feat to get a shower in on days where <laughs> yes, you have yes. you have lots of other things going on. And so little things and big things end up on that list. But there's a rare time that I don't get everything done on that little list that I jot down because the first time I wake up in the morning and I look at it, I'm like, no, immediately, what am I supposed to do next? I don't have to make that decision in the morning. I just have to not hesitate. I just start in on what is there. And that has helped me get so much done. I mean, it's part of why I know several of my friends have commented on how productive I am as a mom with as many kids as I have. And part of that is that I plan for it. And I just, I I think, you know, we'll talk about this more next month when we have a couple episodes on um, just creativity and, and purpose and passion and stuff like that. But the more kids I've had, the more I have to work at making space in my life for some of the things that I like to do or things that matter to me. And um, so I also put those things on the list because I think if you have a list that is all chores, all drudgery, all <laughs> the stuff that you know must be done and nothing that is something that makes you light up or makes you just feel a sense of satisfaction from the day. I just, I think you need to have a little of everything. So that plan one day ahead list is a lifesaver for me. And uh, I need to start putting exercise on that list. <laughs> so <laughs> but, Well, ladies, thank you so much for all your thoughts. And I hope that our listeners have been encouraged and have maybe found a few things that they can try in their own lives to get some momentum with their fitness or with any of the other areas that are weighing on them. And uh, thank you both for being here. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was a fun chat. I am just so pleased to have a guest with me today as we launch into a conversation about rest, which is part of the series that we've been going through on Kindred Mom this spring. First, we had tackled having a healthy mind as a mom in the month of February, and this month we're talking a little bit more about how to have a healthy body, and that includes so many different facets, but today we're going to be talking about rest, the pursuit of rest, the importance of rest, and just how we might be able to achieve it as moms with busy households. And so I'm so pleased to welcome Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to have you, partly because I think this is probably one of my weakest areas as a mom myself, (laughs) just learning how to build in rest into my real life, which is very full and busy. I have myself, um, I'm pregnant with my seventh baby. And so it's a very bustling. Thank you. (laughs) Um, It's a very bustling, busy household and rest is definitely not something that usually ends up high on my priority list. But I can tell after years and years of chronic depletion that this is not working out so well. And so I'd love for you to first introduce yourself a little bit about your family and why it is that rest has become really important to you. Well, I'm a mom as well. I'm a mom of two boys. They are preteens and teens now. One's a 12 and one's 14. Uh-huh. Um, I am an internal medicine physician, so I still am in practice. Uh, and my days are busy, just like everyone else is with, you know, trying yeah. to juggle it all. But I got to a point in my uh, life where 
I had so much going on with my career. I had always been very career focused. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that became such a very big part of my life that when I had kids trying to figure out how to be a good mom and be present within my work really just ended up with me being getting burned out. And once I got to that point, that's when rest became more of a priority because I, I bottomed out. I got to the place where I really wasn't effective in either position. I wasn't able to give my all, you know, within my job, within my home, uh, or even just to myself. And I, I wanted better. I felt like the Bible was saying that I could have better, that this wasn't, you know, the blessings of the Lord come without all of that. And so if, that, if the yeah. word of God is true then I was doing something wrong. And for me, it was just a matter of um, really seeking the Bible and trying to determine where, where could I get an understanding from the word that aligned with what, what I knew as, as a researcher and as a physician and as one who likes to bring the science into it as well. And, um, and I think that's where my journey began. I really wanted to see what did God say? And then how can I combine that with what I know to be true with how our bodies work? And that's that's really where the revel, the whole revelation of the seven types of rest came from. Well, I am so thrilled that you're here to talk about this, partly because I heard you speak on another podcast before. And I was like, I need to follow up with this. I need to learn more about this. And I would love for you to just share specifically about your book, the name of it, and um, kind of what you dive into as far as seeing as of primary importance for those who are really um, trying to find a way out of chronic exhaustion? Well, for what I think is probably the the biggest thing that most women have to, to first learn and to process is that, you know, rest and sleep are not the same thing. <laughs> they are yes. two completely different things. And we have gotten to this point in our lives where, and in society really, where when we say rest, we throw it around like this flippant thing. We don't quantify what it is, what it should look like, what it should accomplish. It's just this thing that we say we're going to do on the weekend or when we have time, you know, we, we throw it around like, oh, I'm going to rest. And then we, you know, sit and veg out with the TV and Netflix for a few hours and we say we've rested. But the problem with that is, when we get up from those situations, we're still exhausted. And so I think one of the first things that that I had to learn was that rest really equals restoration. That if I'm doing something that's truly restful, then I should be able to go back and look at that moment and say, this got restored in my life. And I think when when I first started doing that, that's when things started changing because I would because I'd say, OK, I'm, I need to rest because I'm, you know, I'm stressed out. My, I, can't, I lay down at night and my head's kind of going through all this stuff. I can't turn my brain off at night. I need to rest my mind. And then when I start thinking about that and I start looking at it from a from a standpoint of restoration, what can I do that doesn't require me to you know, lock my kids in the closet or something. I I still have to go through my regular life and be able to rest my mind. So to look at ways to actually incorporate this in a, in a busy day, in the middle of the responsibilities and the work and the family and still come out rested. And I think that's, that's the, the big connection point for a lot of women is to see that these aren't you know, earth shattering, never heard of before tips that I usually offer. They're simple things we're just not doing. 
Um, you know, things like when, when the, you know, we always tell moms, when the kids are asleep, you sleep too. Well, that's when everybody does laundry. You don't have time to sleep right then. <laughs> Your right. head's thinking, exactly. I need to go get this stuff done. But what yes. we don't realize is that short breaks actually are restorative. Um, for instance, a lot of times when people are, you know, if you're a blogger and you're ha- hacking away at the computer for an hour trying to get an article out and, you know, you get to that point where you just feel like, oh, my eyes are about to, you know, this eye strain and the headache and all and the neck tension, all of that's hitting you. Our normal tendency is to try to push through, but we would actually be more effective and have more enjoyment in the moment if we, when we feel that tension, take five minutes and just close our eyes, do the little shoulder shrugs to kind of relax our body a little bit, do that restorative uh, treatment to ourselves that's needed in the moment within those five minutes, and then go back to the work. Uh, And it's adding little things like that in all of the different seven areas I talk about that helps us live this kind of restful lifestyle and, and which really keeps us feeling energized and keep us feeling restored. Yeah, no, I absolutely love your definition and have not ever thought of rest as something that needs to be restorative. I mean, it makes perfect sense. But I am also one of those people who just really thrives on productivity and feeling like I got my to-do list done. And uh, it's really challenging to slow down. I love that you have kind of said that this can be something that happens in small pockets and not necessarily mm-hmm. like we take a whole day off or we have a full night of rest, which may not be possible if we have little babies. <laughs> and um, I'm just curious if you could tell us a little bit more specifically about your book and like what season of motherhood was it that that came around in your life? Were your kids really young or were they school age? Yeah, the, the, my book is Sacred Rest, Recover Your Life, Renew Your Energy, Restore Your Sanity. And I mm-hmm. open it up with in chapter one with um, with kind of a definition of where my kids were at. I literally had just picked them up from daycare. So they were at yeah. the one was like one was like maybe three and the other one was somewhere around like 15 months or so. Mm-hmm. So I had um, picked them up from daycare and I was exhausted. I was burned out. I I was kind of coming off of a busy work week. And so I got home and, I, and just in that particular moment, it just kind of hit me that, like you said, I had all this stuff on my to-do list. I'd worked all day. Um, I now wanted to spend time with my children that I prayed and asked God for. And now <laughs> I'm wanting to spend yeah. time with them. And I felt like I had nothing left to offer them. Hmm. Uh, I, I, that's, that's the feeling I had, that there was just nothing left to offer them. I felt like I was bringing home kind of the scraps of myself to them. And so I felt so um, defeated in that moment that I just, I, I kind of put them in front of the TV, gave them a snack, and I just laid out on the floor and I was really probably at the lowest point of my life because I just felt like, God, you know, if this is if this is what I've, I've built all my life around, then it's mm-hmm. not what I wanted. You know, and right. here's, I'm an, I don't know if, if you're familiar with like Enneagram and all of that, but I'm a type three. I'm a high achiever kind of person. I like to get stuff done. I like to get the check boxes all checked off and have things accomplished. So for me to have, you know, these life goals, and to get to what whatever that life goal is, if that life goal is to, to be a mom or is to be a wife or whatever that life goal is, I think we all can relate to those times when we get to whatever it is we prayed for and it doesn't look like we thought it should look. 
is that living up to the expectation we had in our head. And that's the moment I had gotten to. And so, you know, it was in that moment that I, I really started to to ask God, you know, how, how do I get back to where I enjoy my life? That was mm-hmm. the goal of this. It mm-hmm. wasn't really about looking for rest. It was it was about trying to find the beauty in a life that I I know I was blessed with, but I couldn't accept the blessing. And mm-hmm. that's when he led me back to um, Genesis. You know, um, it's weird. I was laying on this floor weeping and, you know, had kind of the peace of God come on me. And at that time, it was just kind of a, a, re- a realization to get back in my word and start from the beginning. And one of the very first things that I learned and that really um, led me to writing uh, and kind of the whole book, as I wrote it, I continued to go back to Genesis uh, and, and read that because it was such a revelation to me. And honestly, it's weird because I don't I don't share the revelation of it in the book uh, yeah. in, in kind of a like Bible story way, because I knew I wanted to get this message out to a, a large number of people. Um, yeah. But the, the revelation that came to me as I was looking at where, you know, he, he made man on the sixth day and, all, you know, we were going through the, the creation story. And when I looked at that and I thought, OK, God, you, you know, as a doctor, you created our bodies, you created us on the sixth day. So, you know, this great masterpiece is put together. And I thought, you know, what that and I'm reading all about rest and it finally dawned on me, you know, when we were made in the sixth day, but our first full day on the earth yeah. was a day of rest. Mm-hmm. He didn't start us off. He On the sixth day, he made us. He, he gave us our mandate of what we're to do and who we are and all of that. But then he didn't say, go do it and earn your rest. He yeah. started us off in rest. And it, mm-hmm. when it finally hit me that our work is to be from a place of rest not to earn our rest. That really changed everything for me because then I could I started looking at some of the research about how are some of the you know some of the most productive uh, and creative people are people who have prioritized their need for rest. They have made a, a conscious effort and then looking at some of the science, I'm a science geek. <laughs> <That's not laughs> no, I love that. <laughs> some of the science that came out, it, it just it just floored me. And so I started kind of putting this together for really for myself and for my own blog. I was, you know, in my head, I'm thinking, oh, if, you know, if everyone just knew that, you know, to, if they want to be more creative, you allow creation that's already there to, to bring rest to you, to, you know, that feeling we get when we go to the beach and we're standing out there and we're looking at the, the expanse of the water and the awe and the wonder of that. Or you're, you know, looking at the Grand Canyon that's been scooped out by God and you're just that just the awe of that. Um, And when people say, you know, I just feel such peace and such energy that that is actually documented, you know, in science that we actually have changes on our MRI when we are at places of water in nature that speak to us, that that is a form of rest, that it is restoring something in us simply by the appreciation of beauty. And that's the what's creative rest is. And when I realized that, it became really relevant to me to make my office beautiful, to you know, to put mm-hmm. artwork and to put things and colors that that reflected life. You know, in a medical office, everything's kind of beige and plain. 
So, yeah. you know, and I think a lot of our offices are like that. They're white, they're beige, they're, you know, they're kind of, um, and even our homes sometimes, you know, we, we come in and we just throw up whatever on the wall and we don't really kind of pay attention to the surroundings, but all of those things play a part in how we feel. And so that, that was just huge for me, just that whole process of looking at the seven types of rest, uh, which are physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, sensory, social, and creative and evaluating what areas that I had a deficit in, what areas kept me feeling drained, because I was getting plenty of sleep. Sleep is only right. one out of the seven. So if you're, mm-hmm. if you think sleep is the problem and you're getting sleep and you're waking up the next morning so tired, that physical is probably not the area that you're deficient in. It's likely mm-hmm. one of the other six. And so until you restore that area, you continue to feel drained, but you don't understand where that drain is coming from. It's just so interesting. And I love that you have the scientific side that you bring into it because that is not my gifting or my background. I am fascinated by science, but not uh, deeply entrenched in it. So it's really great to hear your observations and the things that you have learned on your journey through this. And I also am really curious um, if you have anything that you would specifically say um, has impacted the way that you work with patients and um, just, I mean, I'm imagining because of how impactful this seems to have been for you personally, that it has also fanned out into what you do in your job and how has it impacted the way that you treat and guide patients in their um, dealing with deeper physical issues? Well, it certainly has. Um, one of the things that I created to try to help my patients just kind of self-evaluate which of the seven types of rest they may need is a, a free quiz that I offer at restquiz.com. Mm-hmm. And so uh, most of my patients that come in that say something like, you know, I feel like I have insomnia or I'm always tired, you know, I, I automatically we do the blood work and all those things to make sure nothing chemically is actually wrong. Their thyroid's okay. (laughs) You know, they don't have diabetes, something like that. But uh, obviously a a large majority of them have nothing medically wrong with them. It's just their lifestyle. You know, they're just so um, invested in so many different areas. So that's where I usually have them start is to take the quiz and then to, to kind of report back what, what are your top two areas? And so just for an example, I had one young uh, woman who was a mother. Uh, She was married with uh, about three kids uh, at the time. And, uh, you know, she was uh, constantly saying, you know, I I, I don't know if my marriage is going to work. Now, that's kind of a weird conversation (laughs) for for a person to have with their internist. But but honestly, my patients and I usually had those kind of conversations because I asked them about their life. And she's like, I don't know if my marriage is going to work. You know, I love my husband. But when he comes home, I don't want him touching me. And that's really frustrating him. And it's frustrating me because he's frustrated and now the kids are feeling the tension. And so we really started uh, talking about that, uh, you know, I'm checking hormones, making sure nothing's out of whack. Right. And, you know, when in our t- and I had her do the quiz and one of her highest scores was sensory. Now, she's a she's a stay at home mom. She homeschools mm-hmm. her kids. And, and her kids were young. I think they, the ages were like from maybe five to or actually, I think the oldest was five. And I think the youngest was like two or something. So she had fairly young kids. 
And when I started asking her about how, you know, how is your sensory rest so high? You know, your sensory rest deficit, because the test is to see what your deficit's in. I was like, how is this so high? And we started talking. Well, she had three girls. So <laughs> she was like, they're screaming all the time. And it's not like upset screaming. It's like high-pitched, happy girl screaming. Yeah. <laughs> and they're constantly wanting to hug me and hold me and kisses. And she's like, I love every moment of it. And I told her, and I looked at her and I was like, no wonder you're sensory overloaded. You know, you don't want your husband touching you when you get home, when he gets home, because you've been touched all day. There's the, you, you don't realize how sensory overloaded you are. And so we had a conversation with him about a way to allow her some time to, to really have a sensory, um, kind of some sensory rest, a, a selective moment of sensory deprivation where she was able to go in the bedroom for he had kind of daddy time with the girls. She mm-hmm. could go in the bedroom for, and we're talking like 20 minutes. It wasn't this prolonged, you know, drawn out. Yeah. Yeah. It was just time for her to be able to kind of reclaim her body. And just having the ability to take back control of her senses helped her to be able to move that next level with her husband. Combined with, um, she also had a sense, uh, social rest deficit which with couples can be huge because, you know, if you think of one of the main things we talk about is the, the, the benefit, the actual chemical and scientific benefit of face-to-face interaction. You know, so often now, even as couples, if we're in the same house living together, we are, we are rarely face-to-face. We're talking at each other as we're walking by each other or as we're each looking at our devices. Or, yep. And on the, the sad thing is most of the time when we are face to face, it's during times of difficulty when we're arguing about something or we're discussing something stressful like bills. And so what I have couples do that are feeling kind of pulled apart is to actually focus on five minutes every night that they're just going to turn everything off and look at each other face to face. And just talk, you know, it's not pre-planned. It's just how's your day? And you can honestly answer, not an I'm fine, not a, it's okay. But tell me about your day for, you know, a few minutes. Um, and what I find is that interaction, um, it imitates the same type of interaction that we have when we first fall in love. When we first fall in love, we have that face-to-face, oh, I care about your day behavior. And when we go back to that, the love returns because a sense of being understood and cared for and nurtured returns. And so it's stories like that, that, that give me hope that this book is helping people because it's so simple. The, the tips that are suggested in it are so simple yeah. and you don't have to hit all seven. It's, it's identifying the areas that are draining you. Yeah. And then those two that have the highest rest deficit to go in and to purposely restore whatever has been drained. It's just so insightful. And we on Kindred Mom have talked a lot about self-care in the last year. Uh, We did a series in January of 2018 talking about just kind of thinking about self-care in a new way. Because for me, I always thought of self-care as something that was kind of indulgent. And I don't have time for that because I have people to take care of and things to do. And my mind has been radically changed uh, to just see that self-care isn't something that we 
have to escape our regular life in order for it to happen, that it's much more small building blocks of every day and the choices that we make. And I know that your website is I Choose My Best Life. And I'd love for you to talk just a little bit about the power we have to make changes with our choices. And you're already alluding to that as you talk about uh, identifying the areas of rest that we are most efficient in. But I'd love to know how that has become one of your core messages as a writer and as a mom. Yes, that's that that's a area that's really huge on my heart is that choice that we have to make. That um, the website actually comes from a, a portion of scripture in Deuteronomy um, thirty that says, "I place before you life and death, blessings and cursings. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live." Because um, that was around the time when I really kind of first got the revelation of this whole issue with with my need to kind of reconnect with um, myself. And, you know, we call it self-care, but I, I look at it more as being self-aware of, of what I need to be able to, to, to function at my best. Um, because, you know, we always tend to look at self-care as this, as you mentioned, this extra thing that we can kind of tack on on the side if we have time or, you know, if we have energy for it, right. if there's an extra moment thrown in the day. Um, and we don't look at it as really part of our, our um, arsenal to be able to stay our strongest. And, you know, I'm of the mindset that every Christian's in, you know, in constant warfare (laughs) with society and how the pressures of how, you know, it's created that you have to constantly be in production mode and constantly be, you know, be perfect on the, you know, Instagram and all the different Facebook and all those things, you know, there's such a, a <laughs> yeah. ongoing pressure to kind of have it together. Um, and as women, we even kind of put even more pressure on that um, with the pressure to have it all together and to look cute while you're doing <laughs> while you're doing it, you know, to, to get all of these things done. And so, so that is a huge part of my heart is just to 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 help women see that really you know self care is more about being able to optimize the gifts God has given you. I think each one of us have gifts, whether that's speaking or writing or nurturing or organizing. I mean, each one of us has gifts, and if you take a person, even with the, the most phenomenal gift, and you exhaust them, or you fill their today with things they don't want to do because they have weak personal boundaries. And so they're constantly saying yes, when they really would rather say no. And you take that person, even if they have some of the most wonderful gifts in the world, they can't fully function in their gifting because they don't have the energy and the stamina to do so. And so every time that I have one of those kind of inward battles about self-care, like, is it okay to, you know, go do this for myself or to go do a girl's weekend or something like that? I constantly mm-hmm. come back to the to the mindset of is it okay to be the best God made me to be and to give the world and my family the best of myself? Because that I will give a resounding yes to every time. And for that to happen, I have to take care of me to the best of my ability. And that includes the quote self-care, you know, that we that we talk yeah. about. Because I can't do those things. I can't be the I can't be the wife, the mom, uh, the the leader, the doctor. I can't be any of those things that I want to be to the best of my ability 
if if I'm not willing to to pour into myself the best of what I can give. And that that's the day to day, you know, because if we just try to get rest on the, you know, on the weekends or we just try to get it when we take a vacation and, you know, let's be honest, vacations are not restful for most of us with kids. They are just work, fun <laughs> work away from home. You know, that's, yep. it's not yep. rest. So let's, let's not confuse that. But, you know, if, if those are the only times I say I'm going to rest, then I'm never going to get any, and I'm never going to take care of myself. It's just, you're just going to continually get more and more drained until you kind of solidify the thought in your head that it's needed. It's not just this extra thing. It is necessary. Yeah, no, it's so insightful. And there are so many pearls of wisdom in what you have shared in this half hour. And I just have one more question for you about how this has impacted your home life. And as you have mothered your children, what kind of leadership role you have taken in teaching your kids about adequate rest in all of these areas in their own lives. As I'm, I have, my kids are right now aging in ranges two to 12 and like their needs are all so different. Um, but I just see how so much of my role as a mother is to equip them with some of these skills that I have just been learning as an adult, but I hope that they enter adulthood with an ability to recognize their limits or where they need to be restored. And so I'm curious how that's played out in your parenting. It's changed as they, as they change. Um, you know, when they were younger, it was focused more on, you know, we can't be on the video game 24 seven or we, you know, hey, let's, yeah. let's put the phones down at dinner time. Let's have some, some sensory free zone here. You know, we're not going to overload our senses with all of these electronics. As they've gotten older, we've, it's, it's geared more towards the emotional and social um, because we're getting into liking girls and, you know, the peer pressure and um, what, both of them are on the football and basketball team. So, you know, all the guy talk and all of that. And so we, we're having more conversations about the emotional and social part of rest, um, meaning, you know, having those friends that you feel like you can just tell your truth to, that you're not always feeling like you mm-hmm. have to have this perfect persona um, or that you're having to uphold, you know, some type of um, um, like ego uh, or image of how people perceive you. I find when I talk to teen groups, that's a huge issue that a lot of them deal with. Um, and, you know, we talk about suicide and all those things that sometimes come up, those types of thoughts, when we feel like we are not accepted, when we're constantly living under a mask. And so that they understand that they are, they're loved, you know, that we're not always going to agree you know, and, and not agreeing with them doesn't mean that they can't share whatever they feel they need to share that, you know, your, your love is not conditional to them agreeing to your side every time and to just open up that door so that they understand that they can say what they need to say. Uh, and that's a safe zone within our home. Well, so wise. Um, I just appreciate you taking the time to be here today to share all of these wonderful things. And I don't know if you have other books or projects that you would want to share with our audience as we close out. Well, I definitely recommend doing the rest quiz, restquiz.com, because I think that's really helpful for a lot of people. Um, and then there's another book mm-hmm. that I, I adore that um, it's a devotional. It's Come Empty, Pour Out Life's Hurt and Receive God's Healing Love. I find that a lot of women who mm-hmm. struggle with um, not feeling worthy, um, there's a sense of uh, I'm not worthy of being cared for, even if they don't voice it. Mm-hmm. That's how they treat themselves. Um, I find that a lot right. of times that book's very helpful. 
um, because it deals with some of the hurts that have happened in our lives that make us feel that way. Some of our own personal mistakes that we may have caught, you know, um, positions we've put ourselves in, um, as well as others that we have no choice of over. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. And just one last time, if you could tell people where they can find you online so they can follow up and check out all of the amazing things you have shared. Absolutely. I'm at rest. Uh, I'm at I choose my best life.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. And uh, I just so appreciate you being here. Thanks so much, Emily. Take care.